the nonprofit Social Media Summit, sponsored by Neon One, is back and bigger than ever. Go to nonprofitsocialmediasummit.com to get your free ticket, and you'll get access to the complete session lineup with speakers on social media advertising, LinkedIn for nonprofits, AI and ChatGPT, influencer marketing, YouTube strategy, and more. You can upgrade your ticket to get the recordings, slides, and a special bonus live training with me to plan for the new year. I know you're a smart cookie. If you want to know what's working right now in social media and how to best plan for the future, you will want to join me in Neon One in November. Go to nonprofitsocialmediasummit.com right now to snatch up your free ticket. See you there. Hello, and welcome to Nonprofit Nation. I'm your host, Julia Campbell, and I'm going to sit down with nonprofit industry experts, fundraisers, marketers, and everyone in between to get real and discuss what it takes to build that movement that you've been dreaming of. I created the Nonprofit Nation podcast to share practical wisdom and strategies to help you confidently find your voice, definitively grow your audience, and effectively build your movement. If you're a nonprofit newbie or an experienced professional who's looking to get more visibility, reach more people, and create even more impact, then you're in the right place. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. Welcome and or welcome back to Nonprofit Nation. I'm your host, Julia Campbell. I'm thrilled to be here with you today. The topic is something that has been on a lot of headlines, on a lot of people's minds, in a lot of conferences all over the world, and it's artificial intelligence for fundraisers. So what we know is that organizations like yours, like not all nonprofits, they're constantly seeking innovative ways to maximize their fundraising efforts. And we do know that AI in all of its various forms, has emerged as a game changer, uh, really revolutionizing the world of fundraising and empowering nonprofits to achieve remarkable results. Now, my guest today is my good friend and colleague, Josh Hirsch. He's a sought-after speaker on the ways in which nonprofits can unlock the potential of AI and learn how to leverage its power to supercharge their fundraising campaigns. And a little bit about Josh. He does have the receipts to prove it, okay? He's been in the nonprofit sector since 2006. He's currently the senior strategist for Sukup Strategic Solutions. He's on the faculty for the fundraising school at Indiana University Lilly Family School of Philanthropy. And he has an extensive background in social media, digital communications, and marketing, grant research, writing, individual giving, you name it. And Josh and I are both members of the AF Peeps, which is the social media vanguard for the Association of Fundraising Professionals International Conference and other AFP initiatives. We've spoken together quite a few times. I'm thrilled to announce here that we are speaking at ICON, the International Conference of AFP, in 2024, April 7th through 9th. It's going to be in Toronto. And our session is How to Convert Fans to Donors, a fundraiser's guide to social media. So welcome. Welcome to the podcast, Josh. Thanks, Julia. I'm excited to be here. Yay. I'm thrilled. And I'm so excited to talk about AI because it's something I've dabbled in. It's something I'm interested in, but it's certainly not something that I 
feel like I'm an expert in. But before we dive into that, tell me a bit about you, how you got into nonprofit work. I was that kid in undergrad who breezed by, you know, I got my degree in advertising. I got a job locally in Gainesville. I didn't want to go the agency route and work for a big firm. I, you know, didn't really know what I wanted to do at the time. So after working for a year, year and a half in town, I'm like, I need to get more education. I want to get a master's degree. So I looked through the entire graduate catalog and came across a program called Family Youth and Community Sciences. And this was in the early 2000s. There really, you know, at the time wasn't necessarily degrees in nonprofits. And if they were, it wasn't as widespread as now where you can get masters and even, you know, you can get a right. doctorate. You can get a doctorate in philanthropy from Indiana University Lilly Family School Philanthropy. Wow. You can be a PhD. You can be Dr. Julia. That's amazing. Yes. Yes. Oh, so I, <laughs> I like Dr. Julia. That's, that's mm-hmm. a good one. Uh, so I went and I met with the graduate admissions professor and she said, you'd be really good at this program and I want to offer you assistantship. And I said, giddy up. And, you know, fast forward, here we are 20, almost 20 years later, and I've led a very successful career in fundraising and marketing and, you know, proud nerd. And, you know, being a nerd has certainly got me to where I am in my career today because I'm that person who, you know, I love to be an early adopter. I was on social media setting up pages for nonprofits on MySpace. Like, Mm -hmm. I'll I'll, I'll date myself there because I just knew then that this world of social media was going to be an outlet for nonprofits. You know, fast forward to when we were talking in third person on Facebook before there were even profile pages. We Mm -hmm. were still like trying to harness this. And, you know, one of one of our good friends from the early days, John Hayden, was Mm -hmm. leading the charge and was soaking up all knowledge I could from him and you know, really just have thoroughly enjoyed where the road has taken me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and right now I'm riding that AI train because it's hot. Uh, but not only is it hot, it's applicable to any nonprofit, no matter size. You could be a global nonprofit with a, you know, a, a $10 million plus annual revenue, or you could be a small mom, mom and pop nonprofit operating out of your you know bedroom uh, with a $100,000 if that budget. And using AI tools, it really is leveling the playing field from a comms perspective, from an an analysis perspective. I think that's like the data side is is uber nerdy. We're seeing a lot of new vendors that are using AI from wealth screening purposes that are going to allow you to save more time. It's going to allow you to raise more money and it's going to be more efficient and even create more personalized experiences Mm -hmm. for your constituent base using AI. Exactly. And I was going to say that you have always been an early adopter, just like you mentioned. And when we first met, you were working for Susan G. Komen. And I remember you talking about chatbots way back then. I mean, years ago, using chatbots to help manage questions that you would get about events or about your race or about some kind of, you know, huge gathering that was happening using Facebook challenges, using Facebook fundraising, like all of these tools, what I've always really enjoyed about your work is you're not afraid to really experiment and kind of jump in there and see where these tools can lead you. And you're definitely not one to like sit on the sidelines when new tools come about. So I appreciate that. It just makes complete sense that now you're focusing on AI and nonprofits. You're speaking everywhere about it. You're teaching courses, you are doing a lot of training and a lot of work around it. So, you know, when we talk about 
AI, this like mythical being, artificial intelligence. I think a lot of us tend to think of generative AI, right? We think of ChatGPT, we think of Bard, we think of the apps on our phone that can help us create, you know, digital images. And we tend not to, at least in my experience with with my clients, we tend not to think about the power and the potential to be more productive, to save time, and to even raise more money. And you touched on that a little bit, but how can fundraisers specifically, like what are some of your favorite ways or some of your favorite things you've seen? How can fundraisers use this emerging tech to do their jobs in a more efficiently and effective way? First off, don't be scared of AI. I think that's, Mm. you know, there's this big hurdle that people are like, oh, well, you know, I don't know how to use it. I've heard about this thing, like you said, ChatGPT or Bard or or Claude is another big one. But you just have to get your hands in and start playing around. So looking at ChatGPT is kind of like the Tylenol of medicines. Like right now, it is that brand leader. It has great market share. There are freemium versions. There's a paid model, but the free version gives you uh, ChatGPT model 3.5, which is more than enough that you need to get started. And what's key is... It is a learning model. So when I'm working with ChatGPT, and I'm just use that for our example, I'm talking to it. I'm not necessarily having like do this, but I'm having natural flowing conversations because it's getting me in that mindset to get the desired output I want. So whenever I start with a new thread or a new chat or, you know, within ChatGPT, I'm always teaching it who it is. So mm-hmm. we want to have the tool become in that mindset. So if you are a vice president of advancement for a no-kill pet shelter in Houston, Texas, you're always going to start out with your prompt saying, act like yada, yada, yada. By saying act like, it's getting it into its mindset. And more so than saying act like, I always like to tell it that's an expert that it's won awards, so it has this mindset of saying, okay, not only do I know this subject matter, but I'm an expert at it. Keep in mind when you're looking at the different tools. So the data set that ChatGPT is taught on ended in September 2021. That's right. I wonder if that's going to change, but okay. You know, I, I have no idea how they're looking at expanding that, but looking at a tool like BARD, BARD is live real-time connected to the internet. So you're able to go on there and say, you know, how did Lionel Messi play in last night's game? And it'll give you a quick breakdown of like, all right, he had two goals and these assists. But also, what are the purposes behind the different tools like ChatGPT or or Bard? ChatGPT, I find, is much more creative flowing from a writing perspective. Claude, you can do even much more uh, longer form content. Mm-hmm. So it's really finding the right tool for what your desired output is. And that's the other part. You know, you have the, what I like to call the create formula. So you're creating that character that's going to allow you to go down the path of getting you that desired output you want. Keep in mind, your initial output most times is not going to be that final content that you're producing. Mm -hmm. You're going to continue to iterate and bring back and refine it even a little further to get your desired results. The way I also like to look at it is the content that's coming out of any, you know, GPT generative pre-trainer, look at it like it's content coming from an intern. 
So it's good, mm-hmm. but it's not your final product. You never want to copy and paste directly what's coming out of these tools. And they're yeah. learning too. I love that analogy because interns are always learning yes. and absorbing information. So taking that that content and making sure it's in your tone. And, and people don't realize how much of a difference when you're teaching the, the tool of not only who it is, but what sort of tone to, to produce. And just saying the tone... And there's many different types of tones that you could be writing in, knowing what your own brand voice is. It makes such a difference in the end of that output that you're going to get. I've really played around with it a lot. And some of my favorite use cases, I do a lot of, you know, Zoom calls with clients and they can be an hour, an hour and a half long. And I put the transcript into ChatGPT and I say, write a summary, write an analysis write this with 10 bullet points. And it basically is like an intern. Like you said, it's like an assistant and it will go through the hour and a half long transcript and pull things out. Of course, it's not perfect, but it saves a lot of time and it saves a lot of energy. I've actually used this on the school committee. I'm in charge. I'm the secretary for the school committee here. And I've used it to write the first draft of notes from the meeting. You know, it'll go through the transcript and pull out the note. It's just incredible. And like you said, the most, the most important thing is that it does keep learning about you, your tone, and the more specific you can be, I think with the tools, it's like garbage in, garbage out. If you're putting incomplete data into the data set, you're not going to get the most accurate results. Same with, you know, any of these tools. Absolutely. You need to be very clear about your desired output. So if you want to have a content calendar for the next 30 days, be very specific. Mm-hmm. Create a table of social post copy for Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. And I'm always going to say Twitter. It's never going to be X. Sorry. That's just how it is. Oh, I know. I, know. I mean, it is X, but I get it. <laughs> yeah. um, and then even more so, it's like, you know, Once you have that first iteration, you can say, you know, include a column for recommended graphic, include a column for recommended hashtags going. And and that's the other thing is I'll use these tools interchangeably depending on the specific project. So I'll jump over to Bard and say, you know, identify the top 10 trending hashtags for a no kill animal pet shelter in Houston, Texas. Mm -hmm. It'll give me those. And then I can bring that back over into ChatGPT, basing my content around that taking that first iteration saying, all right, well, this is good. Expand upon the first sentence, you know, make sure to include a quote from the executive director. There are times where you'll get that AI hallucination and that, you know, that term being where AI is just completely creating things out of thin air that don't exist. So it's always important to check, double check your content to make sure it is exactly what you want and is a desired output. Mm -hmm. Another trick I like to use is taking past content from my organization or whatever organization I'm working with to teach it what is our flow, what is our cadence and our tone. So taking past blog posts, taking past social posts, and you know, once you've taught it who it is, now you're saying, here's the tone we write in, and here's examples of our content. So it's learning about you. It's learning how you speak as an organization, and then what content would be applicable as you're creating your output. And I think it's important, you know, for nonprofits to understand that AI is not really new. I mean, we've been using these tools for a while. Like I mentioned before, you were using chatbots when you were at Susan G. Komen. 
I'm sure you were probably using many other tools. And there are different ways, like you said, about wealth screening, donor prospecting, grant writing. There's all sorts of ways that AI can be used for those kinds of tasks. Can you talk more about maybe like how have you seen it used to really, you know, to do research on maybe prospective donors? So what I like using it for um, from, an, from an analysis standpoint. So you could take your data set. And once again, let's back up. You need to have an, a policy within your organization for using AI. Okay. And I think it's really important that you have those guardrails in place because some organizations say, you know what? While this is a great tool, we don't feel comfortable putting our organizational data into a tool like this. And that's fine. So you could actually go on and search Google and find out specific, you know, data usage policies for AI and then customize it to your own. Having AI itself write a data policy Mm -hmm. for itself. So once you have that in place, you can then determine, are we going to be an organization that's going to feed donor data in? And when if you are going to that step, remove any sort of unique identifying information and remove first name, last name. Some places might not want to include zip codes and age and birth date because they could, in theory, you know, try to pull in where that's from. But the more specific data that you can put in, you could put in 30 donor records and have it identified based upon zip codes, where is trending data happening? Where is trending giving? So then you can know, all right, well, we want to have a major gift officer go to this zip code region and identify it based upon that. You could look at past giving history and say, all right, well, this person's been giving $25 a month and having based upon that, well, maybe we want to look at how we can move them into becoming a larger uh, monthly donor and even potential looking at our major donors to become plan giving. Mm -hmm. Another way I really like to look at it is from a sentiment analysis standpoint. Mm. So we all, and if you're not, should be collecting feedback from our, our constituents, whether that's surveys, whether that is testimonials, but taking that data, feeding that into a, a GPT, a generative pre-trainer, mm-hmm. and running sentiment analysis, so running a positive, negative, and, and neutral sentiment analysis, as well as those keywords that are identifying it that, upon that. So from there, you you know create a table identifying negative neutral and positive sentiment and the keywords. So you have that table created from there. Your next prompt is, you know, identify trends in negative because we always want to bring our negative to neutral and then positive. Mm -hmm. So identifying those negative trends from there, it's like, okay, well you have these four or five different trends. Now from that, it's create a six month communications plan to move these from negative to neutral to positive. Do we all know how to do this? 100% absolutely. Do we save time by using tools like AI? Even more so. So we're not saying you don't know how to write a letter of appeal. You don't know how to write a press release or a social post. What we're saying is this will free you up time to focus on stewardship, to focus on solicitation, to focus on relationship building, which are really keys of fundraising in in the nonprofit sector. So it's not cheating. And and that's, I think, another thing is that people will have a conversation about is that, oh, well, this is cheating. And I say to them, is it cheating when you take an Excel spreadsheet, take your social analytics from the past six months, dump it in there and have the formulas run so you can get your KPIs, your key performance indicators? It's not. You're saving time by using these these tools as opposed to sitting there on paper or even using a calculator to determine what they would be. 
So there is, you know, internally you need to have what is that usage policy for an organization? And in the same respect, what do you personally feel about using this? I know that there's some, you know, professional writers are like, oh, it's going to take our jobs and it's going to, you know, it's going to eliminate people within the sector. I can see the concern, but my response is it's just another tool in your arsenal. So for those who are adopting it now and becoming adept at it, they are the ones who are going to move further along in their career. Using it to create that outline for your upcoming blog post, using it to sit there and draft your letter of appeal. These are ways that are going to save you time, but it's also going to allow you to see other perspectives on how you can make this more effective for your organization. Mm -hmm. You can put your letters of appeal from the past five years, the ones that worked the best, and then maybe analyze why they did, you know, or your email newsletter, some of your social media posts. And I agree with you. I think it's a tool. And from, so things that I've heard, because I follow a lot of writers and authors and content creators, and I listen to their podcasts. And I think that what's going to make people stand out is as long as you are still putting your unique fingerprint on your work, you know, whether it is a video from your executive director every once in a while, or whether it is, you know, looking at it, making sure it's in the right tone of voice, making sure it's using the right colloquialisms and all of the different, you know, maybe tone of tone of voice and language that you use. But the way that I see it, it, it's just like a tool. It's sort of like spell check, you know, like a million years ago. We all use spell check still, I would hope. And we no one use, calls that cheating. We all use Grammarly. Or if you aren't, you should mm-hmm. be having Grammarly. You should be using Grammarly, yes, if you it's don't. It's a great tool. That is AI. If you Grammarly. notice when you're sitting there in Gmail and you're typing something out and it gives you a recommendation of what to complete your sentence. Or you're sitting there watching you know, your latest show on Hulu or Netflix and it says, based upon your viewing habits, we think you should watch this. That's AI. Mm-hmm. Or you're sitting there working in PowerPoint and you drop a picture in and on the side, it's like, here's five recommendations on how to do a slide. Oh my template. gosh. I love that so much. That's AI. I know. I love it. It's and my favorite thing. That we've all been using it in our lives almost daily. Mm-hmm. So here's just another iteration of using AI to make our lives better. Don't no. be afraid of it. Yep. Embrace it. Let it, let it be more productive for your organization. So I want to go back to the, the AI policy. What are some components that you think we need to have in our policy around uses for AI at our organization? Well, I think that starts off like, what are your stances on donor data going into this? Mm-hmm. You know, are you going to stay away from it altogether? Are you going to put in, uh, you know, anonymous donor data? Because look at, you know, Many of these wealth screening third-party vendors are using AI to look at mm-hmm. you know, your donor data as well as potential donor data out there. So if you are okay with them doing it, if you're contracting with a third-party vendor to do this, then you yourselves need to look in the mirror and say, okay, well, if we're fine with them doing it, well, let's do it internally. Let's, you know, on a smaller scale, run our own, you know, analysis on our data. I'm not saying doing wealth screening because they have different tools accessible to them through their platforms. 
But running that sentiment analysis, running those, those simple looking at your top 10 donors and trying to identify trends based upon interests and, and giving patterns, there's just so much potential of what you can do. Uh, you know, the sky is really the limit. What are some pitfalls that you've seen or, or maybe some pitfalls that you feel nonprofits really need to avoid? It's the, okay, I've created my prompts. I've got my, you know, gener- generative output and I say, okay, this is great copy and paste. And that is always a no-no because you want to, you know, obviously have it be and feel like it's coming from you. You want to have some consistency that's with your other content that you've produced in the past. So certainly not just setting it and forgetting it. The, the Ron Papil uh, of, of AI is not going to work in this, in this sense. You need to really take time to learn the platform and the more specific you are with your prompts, the more direct output of what your desired effects are going to be. I completely agree. And I also know, I don't really know a lot about <laughs> SEO, search engine optimization, but I do know that Google has released some kind of parameters around whether or not websites that are predominantly written by these AI tools are going to rise up in search or not. So if you do have a bunch of just cut and pasted content, that's very generic. First of all, that never worked anyway. But secondly, I think you'll be demoted in search results because Google's getting smarter every day and Bing and every other search engine. Have you seen that? I, I've seen it some. I haven't really you know, had a chance to dive into it too much. But I, you know, certainly you want to make it feel like it's your own, uh, mm-hmm. no matter what the end content piece is going to be, it really should feel like it's coming from you. This is so interesting. I love this. So the AI policy, we'll Google it. We'll look it up. I will find some examples. Josh, if you have any examples, I'd love to put them. I'll send you a link that you can include in the show notes. I'd love to put some examples in the show notes because I know that back when, you know, we were teaching social media to nonprofits, uh, still now people still want examples of social media policies and digital marketing policies, digital fundraising policies. So yes, I agree. And I also believe, you know, done is better than perfect, like done to just start an experiment. And like you said, just sort of look at it as clay and get your hands in there and try to mold it and try to use it in this way. I do feel like there's so much hype and hysteria, especially for AI and fundraising. So I appreciate that. So what are some trends that you're seeing? Like, are there things coming up on the horizon? Are there nonprofits getting this really right or getting it really wrong? I think we're still so much in the early days of using generative Mm -hmm. AI. You can be using it not just from a a content perspective, but also like from a visual perspective. So there's great tools out there, you know, MidJourney being one of them, that you might not have a picture of that dog at the dog park with their, you know, their best friends that you just rescued. And you know that you've got this uh, time pressing nature that you need to get out this content piece that you've just secured a major federal grant, but you really want to be able to promote it with a great picture. Don't use stock imagery because stock looks like stock, even going to sites like Unsplash. And I love Unsplash. I think it's the best stock, non-stock site that is out there. But using generative AI tools like MidJourney to create those images for your content pieces. Uh, You know, I won't, don't tell anyone. MidJourney. Tell me more about MidJourney. Don't don't tell anyone. So my son's (laughs) 
the Midwest this week. He wanted a picture of a barn. We couldn't find a barn, so I went to Midjourney and we created an image that he could use in his assignment. Mm-hmm. And it looks and feels and, and and is exactly like a real barn on a farm. But I didn't have a chance to take a picture. I wasn't able to find one on a stock site that I liked. So we sat there and created an image for him and it worked. And yeah. it's not something to be afraid of. But once again, going back to your data usage policy of AI, if you're like, you know what, we're only going to use actual images that we take, then you know immediately what those guardrails are for your organization. Yes. So I think that's really the important part before, you know, jump in. I want you to listen to this podcast. I want you to sit there and sign up for one of these platforms and just start playing around. But once you start looking at ways that you can start to implement it to your organization, if you don't have a policy in place, create one to start. And that'll give you those guardrails from where to work from. I think that is such great advice because we do need those guardrails sooner rather than later. And we also need to understand the ways in which we're using these tools. And the important thing to know about a policy is that it can always be changed. It can be updated. You can review it in six months and say, you know, this is not working for us. It's not set in stone, but it is important when you're exploring using these tools. And I know that this is a question that people have in their mind. So, so far, we've mentioned ChatGPT, Bard, Claude, in terms of the, the generative AI. And then you've mentioned Grammarly. I'm going to put all these in the show notes. Unsplash, which I love, which is a great site to get photos. And then MidJourney. What are your other favorite tools? What are some other tools you like? There's a couple Chrome extensions that you can use on top of ChatGPT itself. Uh, so AIPRM is a good one. There's Superpower ChatGPT, I believe, or Superpower GPT, I believe it's called. You don't need these extensions. You can do everything fine right out of the box with it. It just helps with a little bit of functionality from a UI UX perspective. <laughs> Even something as simple as creating folders that you can then drag additional chats so it's not just one huge long list. Yeah, Some of them allow you to select the type of writing style or tone. While I don't necessarily select those, I will use those as guides and influence for it's like, okay, well, maybe I want to write this piece in an optimistic, friendly, lighthearted tone. Mm-hmm. And using that as an idea base to go from there. And, and that's the other thing is we are seeing new tools you know, designed on a daily basis. You've got music generative tools that are out there. You've got, so the really nerdiness level, you've got something like mm-hmm. 11 Labs or DID, which will create, and it doesn't sound robotic anymore. You can sit there and create voiceovers for your content pieces and feed whatever script you want in, select from a dozen or so more different voices, male, female, accents, and it sounds and feels like a real person that's Mm. reciting your script. It's wild. And that goes into accessibility. So I think that that has serious potential for accessibility on our websites and in all of our content where we can actually have a voice read a voice read transcript of what we're actually creating. So I think that AI tools, not only do you accomplish our missions, raise money, save time, but also to create a more equitable world. I really see that as, as being a possibility. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I love that. All right. What's, so what's the next, what's the next wave? 
How do we get ready for the future? How do we like strap in and just (laughs) ride this wave and get ready for the next one? I I think that get your hands in, get dirty. Don't be afraid. Start using it now, seeing what the real potentials are for it. As far as what's coming next, I think we're just going to see these language models become more and more adept at your specific nature. So we're going to, I think the next step is, all right, okay, I'm a, a large health nonprofit. We have this great data set starting to build your own LLMs, your own large language models that are specifically niche for your organization. So you could sit there and it's taking the chatbot to the next level. Mm-hmm. With a chatbot, it's built on a specific data set, whereas a large language mm-hmm. model, uh, it could be really infinite. So when you're sitting there and you have that assistant on your website and someone goes on and types, you know, where can I find resources about? If that isn't put into the specific data set for your chatbot, it's going to return, you know, error message, you know, ask again. Whereas with a large language model that's built upon your own data set, you're having a natural free-flowing conversation. So seeing these AI customer service bots becoming much more sentient, if you will. And I think that just opens up such a huge possibility on our websites, on our social media accounts, you know, because say you are running a large campaign or say you are organizing a big event and you have to be out and about in the field and you can't be managing all of these messages that come in. And Josh, you well know, it's always, what time does it start? Where do we go? Where do I go for directions? Like the same 10 questions, I would say. And you can train the chatbot to automatically answer those questions. And then, of course, if other questions come in, you can manually answer them. But I think it just saves so much time. And then people get an instant response, which is what they want and what they're desiring anyway, rather than having to wait around for you. So I really am a huge fan. Um, I think chatbots are also just becoming more and more accepted and ubiquitous and popular people are using them for, you know, for all sorts of, all sorts of different things. So I think that's great. Well, where can people find more about you, um, your work and the places you work and, and more about your work with AI and nonprofits? Sure. I'd say, you know, reach out to me on LinkedIn. Julia is going to drop my URL link down in the mm-hmm. show notes. I see the best way to get a hold of me. Back in the day, I would say Twitter, but it's just not what it used to be. So I, I feel that LinkedIn is, oh. is the best and that's spot. where we met. <laughs> that is where we met. It, it was it's where I met all my good friends almost in the it sector. It was uh, at N10 in New Orleans yep. five, six years ago now. Uh, but it was through Twitter, and yeah. it's just not the same anymore. But yeah, connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, you can find me on our on my organization's website, Sukup Strategic Solutions. Uh, where I'm the senior con- uh, senior strategist and get to work with amazing nonprofits all over this country, helping them raise more money and be more effective with what they're trying to do and make the world a better place. Yes, and I forgot to mention that we are very lucky um, to have Josh speaking at the nonprofit social media summit in November. I will be doing a lot of different promotion and podcasts around that, but he will be speaking on this topic and, you know, how to use it for content creation and his favorite tools, all this, all sorts of things going much more in depth. But I know that's one of your most popular talks is one of your favorite tools, whether it be content creation, social media, now it's AI, you are the tools master. So you are like the tools nerd of the AF peeps. Well, more than that, I, you know, I, I think, and what I love to do when I present is not just tell you how to do it, but show you how to do it. Yes. 
And I think that makes so much of a difference when you're processing the information and you're able to watch someone live on stage there or in your little Brady Bunch world here. Uh, how to actually use this tool. So, you know, concepts are great. Strategy is great. But when you see those put into action, it starts to click a little more in your head that, okay, this is how we apply it. Uh, and that's really just always been my my teaching style. And I think it makes such a difference when you are in this techie, nerdy digital comms, you know, niche that I've really grown into, uh, it makes a difference when you're trying to get your points across. Yes. Amazing. So go to nonprofitsocialmediasummit.com and register, get your free registration. You can look at all the sessions. And then also, I hope you can join us if you are at AFP, the International Conference Icon in April in Toronto look us up, come to our session. I was going to say tweet us. It's just such a habit. Oh, yeah. Use the app, I guess. <laughs> yeah, use the app or, you know, like I said, reach out to us on LinkedIn. Yeah. Find us there. It's the best way to stay in touch. Now, yeah. I, I, I find it now better when I go to conferences and speaking gigs to share a QR code to connect with me on LinkedIn because I get your business card and that's great. It comes back to my office. It sits on my desk. You know, I'm yes. like Whereas yes. you, you connect with me on LinkedIn and send me a message there, boom, it's instant connection yep. and it's a chance for us to continue that networking and that relationship forward. Yeah, no, I completely, I completely agree. I love that. All right. Well, thank you so much for being here, Josh. I really appreciate it. This is such a great topic and we'll have to have you on again as the landscape emerges and changes. My pleasure. Always a good time getting together with you, Julia, and sharing and talking nerdy uh, digital comms for nonprofits. Well, hey there. I wanted to say thank you for tuning into my show and for listening all the way to the end. If you really enjoyed today's conversation, make sure to subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast app, and you'll get new episodes downloaded as soon as they come out. I would love if you left me a rating or a review because this tells other people that my podcast is worth listening to. And then me and my guests can reach even more earbuds and create even more impact. So that's pretty much it. I'll be back soon with a brand new episode. But until then, you can find me on Instagram at juliacampbell77. Keep changing the world, you nonprofit unicorn. Oh,